Welcome to the GUT Podcast on the Consensus Paper, Consensus Definition of Sludge and Microlophiasis as a Possible Cause of Pancreatitis, published in paper copy in GUT in October 2023. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of GUT and Honorary Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Professor Julia Mayley and Dr. Zimon Zertel from the Department of Medicine 2, LMU University Hospital, Munich, Germany. Both of them have a very strong interest in pancreatitis and this is reflected in their recent publication in GUT, focusing on the role of sludge and microlophiasis for the pathogenesis of biliary pancreatitis. Dr. Sertel is the joint first author in this excellent consensus paper, and Professor Mealy is the senior author. Thank you both for joining me today to do this podcast, and congratulations to you and your team on this excellent consensus paper. Firstly, could I ask you to explain the background to your consensus paper and why researching this area is important? So first of all, Philip, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a great pleasure to be able to present our study here today because obviously what we do need is a big audience receiving the information on the consensus on sludge and microlithiasis to actually translate our findings into clinical practice. We all know that acute pancreatitis is one of the most common non-malignant diseases in gastroenterology that leads to hospital treatment, and thus it is associated with a significant burden, not only for the patient, but also for the healthcare system. The two major etiologies leading to pancreatitis are alcohol abuse or gallstones. And again, this is not new to all of you. However, in 20% of cases, we do not find a cause for the occurrence of pancreatitis in our initial workup. So in a high prevalence disease with an incidence of up to 45 per 100,000 population, we do not know the cause of pancreatitis in every fifth patient and therefore have no option to prevent a second bout of acute pancreatitis or even the development of chronic pancreatitis. And that again is burdened with a substantial, at least, morbidity, if not mortality. So the every fifth patient is the patient we call a patient with idiopathic pancreatitis. And in this situation, after endosonography was introduced for diagnostic workup, approximately 50% of these previously idiopathic pancreatitis patients are diagnosed with microlithiasis or sludge in the CBD or gallbladder. And here's our dilemma. If we detect microlithiasis or sludge, we assume the cause of pancreatitis to be biliary and treat the patient accordingly. However, we treat them equal to Goldstone's disease by a lab coli And we do not know whether this treatment in the situation of microlithiasis or sludge 
is an overtreatment or undertreatment of our patient. So taking into account the prevalence and frequency of these really clinical problem, we started with the systematic literature research to understand whether we could give better recommendations to our patient with respect to how should we treat slotural microlithiasis. And currently, those recommendations are completely lacking from our guidelines worldwide. So from a mechanistic point of view, obstruction of pancreatic outflow is believed to cause pancreatitis. And there might be a difference with respect to stone size leading to obstruction and thus discrimination between sludge and microlithiasis might be needed to assess the risk of pancreatitis appropriately. Furthermore, papillitis, for example, due to recurrent stone passages or microlithiasis and sludge passage, could be a trigger of pancreatitis and not necessarily obstruction. But all of those questions we could not answer and therefore started a systematic review followed by a consensus with the aim to generate a consensus definition of the term sludge and microlithiasis that can subsequently be used in prospective trials to accurately describe balduct stones and to accurately map the risk with regard to pancreatitis, pancreatitis-associated complications and pancreatitis recurrences. I hope that this small introduction has given you the opportunity to understand where we do come from and why we believe that these tiny little gallstones might have such great importance and that we really need to know how we should name this um, entity. Thank you. That's a brilliant introduction, Professor. So what are the new consensus points your paper has highlighted? Thank you very much for the question. And I will start as an introduction with our journey through the consensus process, which began when we realized that there was quite a chaos of definitions circulating in the literature. In our underlying systematic review, we examined a total of 1,682 studies from 1981 to 2021. So at 40 years, quite a large period of time that was reviewed to determine which definition of sludge and microliths were used in the respective studies. And the articles were so heterogeneous in the description of the definitions used that we had to choose five pre-inclusion criteria up front in order to standardize and harmonize the selection of articles precisely because of this marked heterogeneity. And with this pre-selection, only 69 articles remained for the final evaluation. And it turned out that our initial impression was confirmed. So in about 20% of cases, the terms sludge and microlithiasis were used synonymously. In other studies, the terms were strictly separated from each other, and the systematic review thus reflected our initial assumption quite well. So for microlithiasis, for example, some authors simply used the term small gallstones without specifying the size. 
while others used sizes between one and nine millimeters for microliths, so to say a relatively wide range, and still others differed on the question of whether microthesis would form an ultrasound shadow or not. So there was quite a large variability in terms of size and ultrasound behavior. For biliary sludge, the variability in definition was that many of the older studies, or especially the older studies, had defined sludge based on polarization microscopy findings using the detected cholesterol crystals, while in more recent US-based studies, many authors varied between describing it as echogenic or hyperechogenic material, usually without an acoustic shadow. But for both sludge and microthesis, there was such a variability in the definitions used that, for example, um, bland meta-analysis to define the two terms was not statistically feasible. And that was the starting point after the systematic um, review. We then prepared an international US expert survey with th uh, 30 US experts from a total of 11 different countries and converted these ambiguities from the literature into questions to get an idea from our US expert panel whether these ambiguities and, and so to say inaccuracies in the definition and also in the therapeutic management of sludge and microliths also exist in, in their reality or in our expert panel. And actually this was the case when looking at the first survey voting results, but then in the further course of the voting rounds together with our expert panel, we were able to consent um, on new distinct definitions for sludge and microthesis. So to sum this up, this resulted, our consensus process resulted in a total of two new consensual definitions for sludge and microthesis after two rounds of voting in the expert panel. And the new consensus definition for microthesis is the term biliary microthesis should be exclusively used in cases in which examination of the biliary tree or the gallbladder retrieves the presence of congruence less than or equal to five millimeter with acoustic shadowing. So Simon, why did we choose below five millimeter as a cutoff for microlithiasis? Is that arbitrary? So why less than or equal to five millimeter? This is actually a good question, especially in view of the fact that in the studies in which a definition of microlithiasis was given, the cutoff for microlithiasis tended to be set at less than three millimeter. So in the end, we were able to agree on five millimeter as the cutoff within the framework of the consensus process, since microlithiasis is understood as a concrement entity that shows a sonographic or endosonographic acoustic shadow, but which, contrary to the classical gallstone, by definition does not have an occluding effect in a common duct. And this was the main point of demarcation from the gallstone group and relevant for the decision for this cutoff value of five millimeter for microliths. And in the meantime, it was considered whether a lower cutoff value should also be specified, but it was decided against this for reasons of clinical practicability. So microthesis are concrements less than or equal to five millimeter with acoustic shadowing and by definition not occluding or dilatating the common bile duct. Maybe so much for biliary microthesis for the second entity, biliary sludge. We were able to agree in the panel that biliary sludge should be described as discrete hyperechoic material without acoustic shadowing, which sediments in the most dependent part of the gallbladder. So these are our new two consensus definitions that distinctively separate sludge from microthesis and are now available to all those dealing with acute biliary pancreatitis. 
Thank you. That was uh, really clear from both of you. So how might this consensus paper impact on clinical practice in the foreseeable future? Well, I mean, first of all, the new definition for both sludge and microlithiasis creates the possibility that all those dealing with biliary pancreatitis or treating patients with biliary pancreatitis use a uniform terminology. And this, for the first time, allows us to separately assess the risk of microlithiasis or sludge for the development of pancreatitis. And this needs to be addressed prospectively, and only if, if we have a precise definition, we can actually address it prospectively. And acting upon these prospective studies, our goal is to investigate treatment and randomized studies overcoming the limitations of under and over treatment. Just to give you a little idea on our consensus process, so we had case vignettes, and in those we were also asking our experts not only for the definition of microlithiasis or sludge, but also how they would actually act on this. And interestingly, there was no consensus whatsoever what to do with a patient who actually has a sludge in his bile duct or gallbladder and um, comes to your practice with acute pancreatitis. Some of the experts sent this patient to for a lab coli. Some would actually do an ERCP. Some suggested that these patients should receive ursodesoxycholic acid, and some would just send them home. And if we keep in mind that in a Finnish study, cholecystectomy, even in the absence of visible sludge or microlithiasis or stones reduce the risk of recurrency of pancreatitis by nearly 50%, one understands that acting in some way on the um, biliary pathology might be beneficial to the patient. However, Complications of lab coli, ERCP, or ursodesoxycholic assay are very different. And therefore, in my opinion, we really need to prospectively study which of the treatment options we have at hand we could use for causal treatment of pancreatitis with biliary etiology. Thank you, Professor. So, in a similar vein, how might this consensus paper impact on research priorities in the foreseeable future? This opens up several options, actually, both in terms of diagnostic studies and therapeutic studies in the pancreatitis context. So, for diagnostic studies, it will be possible in future to differentiate in more detail the proportion of sludge and microthesis in the cohort of primary idiopathic labeled pancreatitis patients. And it has been suspected in recent decades that the proportion is very high in this cohort, but it has not yet been accurately measured prospectively. And this is now possible. And the first results will soon be available from the PICOS trial of the Dutch pancreatitis study group. And 
from a therapeutic or interventional point of view, our goal is now to start, as mentioned by Professor Meyerle, studies that address the question of whether the one-size-fits-all stone approach is indeed the ideal one, or whether we may need to treat sludge and microthesis in the pancreatitis context differently, perhaps less invasively than gallstone-induced pancreatitis in the future. And what is reflected in this statement is the fact that in sludge-induced pancreatitis, unlike in classical gallstone-induced pancreatitis with stone detection, the question always arises whether the sludge detected sono or endosonographically in the hospital is actually the monocausal trigger of the pancreatitis or whether we must then regard sludge rather as an epiphenomen of pancreatitis-related gallbladder hypermotility with then consecutive sludge formation and may be treated then differently. So this means that it is important to find out whether entity-specific ther therapy approaches are necessary for the different entities of sludge, microthesis, and or gallstone-induced acute pancreatitis in order to prevent over but also under-treatment of patients. And we are currently preparing a first large joint randomized controlled intervention trial, the so-called CHEAP trial, on the role of sludge in acute pancreatitis with our colleagues from the Dutch Pancreatitis Study Group around Mark Besselink. And of course, any other center that would like to participate is welcome to do so. And we are sure that we will be able to conduct a highly relevant study for the community as well for our patients with sludge-induced pancreatitis. And to answer the question of what real pathophysiological potential sludge actually has in the setting of acute pancreatitis. So these are the relevant questions that we want to answer prospectively and multicentrically in the next few years and which would then in turn have relatively direct clinical relevance for the treatment of sludge-induced pancreatitis patients. So in this respect, we still have a great deal of diagnostic and interventional work ahead of us, which we want to master, and we are very motivated to tackle this in the next years and to invest a lot of efforts for our patients. Well, it's certainly exciting times ahead, especially with your prospective multi-center study in the future. So thank you, Professor Miley and uh, Dr. Sertel, for doing this good podcast today. And congratulations once again to you and to your co-authors on this fantastic paper being published into GUT. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I've certainly learned a lot. The link to the paper is directly underneath this podcast. So do click on the paper and have a read of it. And of course, please do join us again in the future for further episodes of the Gut Podcast. Thank you for listening today. Mm -hmm.